Oh yeah, for shiz, for shiz. You're listening to The Gist. What's up, homies? <laughs> all right. Hey guys, it's Chris Vetrano. You're listening to The Gist, where we break down all the things that are happening in pop culture every week. And um, of course, today show, it's just you and me. We are going to have a little book club because Britney Spears released her memoir, The Woman and Me, and I have thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. And if you've read it or listened to the audiobook, you know why we got a little different intro. Um, and we're gonna get into the Justin Timberlake of it all in a bit, but um, you know, we're, we're just gonna dive right in because I have been waiting for this book for so long. I mean, I feel like I've been waiting for Britney to write her sort of memoir and tell us the behind the scenes of her life since I became a fan, right? Um, back in 1999, when Baby One More Time first came out, I was an instant fan. Um, if you have followed the podcast, you know that a few weeks ago we had Jordan Miller, the founder of Breathe Heavy, um, on. We did a full kind of Britney Spears deep dive, diving into all of the different eras of her sort of career and life. Um, but we really didn't cover a lot of the like personal uh, elements because we knew that the book was coming. And now we have it. I've read it cover to cover. I have listened to the audio. I have fully absorbed this book in a way that has just brought me so much joy. And so I wanted to share some of my thoughts with all of you today. Um, but make sure that you're following me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at CM Vetrano. I want to hear from you to your thoughts on the book because I truly want this to be like a book club, right? Like I want us to, to dive in and hash out the things that Brittany tells us and uh, reveals in this very, very interesting story. But um, but straight away, um, so again, read it or listen to it because the audiobook, um, you know, Brittany does the introduction and, um, and then she introduces that the rest of the book will be narrated by Michelle Williams. Um, and because it's a very painful story, there's a lot of you know pain that Brittany has go that goes she goes through. There's a lot of painful memories that she reveals. Um, obviously, the times in the conservatorship are really hard to sort of go back to as she's trying to kind of recover and just get herself into a better place. Um, and so, she didn't feel like she could deliver the audio version of the book, and so she brought in Michelle Williams, who can I just say, does a phenomenal job. And she does not try to impersonate Britney. Um, you know, it's not like she's coming in and she's trying to, you know, do some version. But what I love is that she clearly, as an actress, did her homework. She watched Britney. She listened to Britney. She, because there's like, again, it's not an impersonation, but there's an essence. It's like, you know, it's Michelle Williams, but the way that she says words and, and, the dialect and like all of the things that she's saying, it's very Britney um, and it's in its essence. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Recommend it um, because you won't be, you know, losing anything from hearing it from Michelle um, who I think will probably get the Grammy. Let's be honest. Um, but yeah, so the woman in me, it starts out, we're just going to dive in. It starts out and we immediately are getting this rich history of Britney's family and some of the backstory. And I was so entertained. I was like, when I was listening to it and reading it, I was, I was, it was like playing out as a movie because you really got to learn, you know, about her great grandfather and how her father was raised and how her mother and father met. Um, but what was so interesting is right away, you learn that her great grandmother was institutionalized by her great grandfather and put on lithium. And then later, uh, you know, unfortunately, tragically died. But 
it's it's like we start there and instantly you're like, oh, it just hits you heavy because you realize the parallel that, you know, however many years later, her father did the same thing to her. He put her in an institution against her will and put her on lithium. And it's just, it's chilling to hear that this like sort of parallel that this really dark story has taken. Um, and then you learn a lot about, you know, her father's alcoholism and fights that, you know, she would hear of, of her parents. And, you know, she f was always kind of searching for her sort of safe place, it felt like, as a little girl. And uh, ultimately learned that music and dancing and sort of doing all of the things that she came to become was really part of that safe place that she found. And, you know, it's, it was just so interesting to hear, you know, a lot of that backstory because, you know, I think the things that as a Britney fan for many, many years, um, I, you know, know a good chunk of the story, right? Like, but it's her sort of start, her story really starts with like so star search and then going on an off Broadway play and being the understudy and, you know, having that sort of rush and then uh, the Mickey Mouse Club and not getting cast in the first time because she was too young, but the producers told her to come back and then she did. And obviously Mickey Mouse Club, which led to um, the record deals and, and then, she became Britney Spears. And so, you know, you know that story, or if you're a fan like I am, like I know that story really well, but there's a lot of stuff that she covers in this book that you just really didn't know. And you didn't realize how dark things really were back in Kentwood, Louisiana, when, you know, she was living, her parents didn't have a lot. And, you know, and, and really also some of the things that her father faced um, as he was a child and, and growing up and some of the things that, you know, the times that his mother or her mother uh, tried to leave her father uh, when they were young. And it sounded like they kept having kind of like children to sort of save the marriage. Um, and so you're, you're learning a lot of this stuff that really gives you a bit of a perspective of like a, a pretty broken home um, and a lot of darkness that um, transpired when she was a very little girl. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I found really interesting is, you know, Brittany often gets criticized online because they people say that she seems to sometimes uh, revert to like a accent, like a British accent when she's speaking. And we've seen, you know, paparazzi videos, we've seen things on Instagram, we've seen this before where she has, even in some interviews, sometimes she kind of has a bit of a British accent. And she talks about um, how one of her uh, grandmothers or great grandmothers was was actually had a British accent, and she felt like she was so classy, and she just so she enjoyed sort of mimicking her as a child, and it made her feel safe and loved, and there was something that she really felt safety in that in that, and so it's interesting to see you know all these years later, especially as she's experienced all this trauma, that there are times where she actually speaks in that that accent now and it like almost explains all of it you know and that's what i loved about this book is that you know there's some there's some major sort of things revelations that have come out and you guys have all seen those in the news at this point um but even more so than that you really start to get a sense in these little like nuggets of information that she shares where you're getting a sense of what you know kind of made Britney Britney and makes Britney tick in sort of this like eccentric artistic way that um, that sometimes unfortunately she's criticized for but it's truly just her being her and there are things that she does that have true meaning for her um, 
And so that was nice to kind of like see those things. And, and, you know, and then you do get the story of her going to um, the off Broadway and the Mickey mouse club and um, you know, meeting Justin Timberlake on the Mickey mouse club and how they had to play, you know, spin the bottle and, you know, she was kissing and there was, there was some sort of behind the scenes stuff on, on the Mickey mouse club times, but but she always seemed very sort of respectful of the way that she talked about other people. Um, it was never in there never seemed to be intentionally anything that she was saying that sort of was to damage somebody's character. Um, and I really appreciated that as well throughout the book, not just in the Mickey mouse club days, but throughout the book. Um, but we learned that, you know, she was understudy in this off-Broadway play um, called Ruthless. She was understudy uh, with another understudy for the lead role, who was Natalie Portman. And the lead role um, was actually played by Laura Bell Bundy. So it's, like, very interesting to kind of get um, all of those little details as well, which some of them have been out there uh, before, so n not necessarily new. But it was just a nice reminder to sort of see some of that. And then, um, you know, I think... The other sort of like thing that it, it, she has mentioned this in interviews, like back when she was first getting started, but after the Mickey Mouse Club, she really wanted to go back home and live more of like a normal girl life. And, you know, the way that she has told that story in the past is that she kind of got the bug to go and like start singing and dancing and performing again, which led them to New York and where they, you know, met Larry Rudolph and they got connected with uh, record labels and things. But, um, the uh, I will say though, guys, Larry Rudolph. I don't think his name. I'm trying now. I'm now I'm pausing because I might be wrong. I feel like his name doesn't come up a lot in the book, and because there was something, there was a couple of stories specifically that she said that she was telling that I know that she was talking about Larry Rudolph, but she never referred to him as Larry or you know Mr. Rudolph, which you know sometimes she does uh, refer to people that way. Um, and I thought that was interesting because as we know, um, or at least what tabloids have told us is that there was like a hundred and something pages that were removed from the book. Um, and, you know, in order to print stuff like this for legal reasons, they have to sort of get approval by various people. And so I'm curious how he sort of participated in that because he does not have a very strong presence in the book, though he is mentioned as manager or the guy, the manager that took her around town and things like that, but it's never by name. And I am curious if that is intentional because he somehow got, you know, was able to sort of get that um, taken out. But um, I digress. So, um, but what we really kind of learned is I think, you know, it sounds again, like there was a bit of a broken home situation happening and things weren't going great. And it was like, I think she wanted to escape again. And that's really what led her to New York and starting to do some of this, um, some of these additional uh, things in, in music and entertainment. And so as she mentioned, she goes, you know, and she meets the, the head of Jive Records and she has like an immediate connection with him. She ends up going to a couple of other labels, but ultimately really liked Jive and they signed her sort of on the spot. Um, and then, you know, from there, it's like, you could almost say the story is history, right? Like, because then it's like she gets uh, introduced to Max Martin and she has, you know, a lot of conversation or a lot of the uh, areas of the book where she talks about the just sort of being in the studio with Max and kind of what that process was and how she became this like real like 
studio workhorse. Like she was so invested in what was happening in the studios. And like, she just wanted to work. She never wanted to stop working. And uh, she just loved being in there creating music and creating um, the songs. And so, um, and then of course, Baby One More Time is born. Uh, she tells the story of how she uh, created the, the music video treatment um, that, you know, the label wanted her to do some sort of like Power Rangers-y, spacey thing. And she was like, that doesn't feel authentic to me and my friends. Like, I want, you know, to be in a in school and in a Catholic schoolgirl outfit. And I want it to be a little sexy. And we like are waiting for school to end. And then we like bust out and we're, um, you know, having fun and, and dancing in the hallways and stuff. And um and that was born. And this iconic thing was born from her vision at, you know, 15, 16 years old. <clears throat> she was already this like, you know, visionary in that kind of way. And, um, and that's something that I think gets lost a lot when people talk about Britney because, you know, she lip syncs, right? She doesn't, I'm not going to go to bat for that anymore. I used to get a little defensive back in the day when I was, you know, watching her uh, performances and, you know, my mom or my friends would be like, I mean, but she's lip syncing, right? And I'd be like, how dare you? No, absolutely not. Um, but she she does and she certainly does now. Um, so we'll say that. I think in the beginning she didn't, but I, but that sort of took shape as her career kind of continued and her dancing became more um, the focal point. But I think that because of that, people sometimes like, discredit her as a true artistic sort of icon that she is somebody that has vision that can go in and create music the same way that a lot of the greats have done. And that's why she's Britney Spears. Right. Um, and so I think that's the other thing that the book was able to do. Um, so, you know, we end up getting, um, into, you know, I will be honest, there was parts of the book where I felt like her sort of rise to fame and her success it like went too fast. Like I was like, oh my God, I want more details. I want to know about all of the TRL moments. I want to know about, you know, the behind, more behind the scenes with, you know, your romantic life with Justin. I want to know, you know, all the things that aren't in this book, but, but also I realized like, she's got a lot of story to tell. So she's got to kind of like go through it and be like, my life was on MTV and TRL and you guys saw a lot of it. So if you really want to see that stuff, go watch it. Cause I guess we don't have to like necessarily break down every single thing and every detail that I personally need, but, um, but we didn't get that. And, you know, but we did of course get to, um, her talking about her relationship with Justin Timberlake and how it came to be. She did reveal that she was, you know, not a virgin going into that relationship, which was at the time was always like the big thing when Justin and Brittany, uh, had both, come out and people were speculating that they were together. And then when they sort of started admitting that they were together, everyone focused on their sex lives. I mean, they were teenagers and people were like asking about their sex lives, which is really, really crazy. I mean, I remember back in those days, not thinking it was that crazy because it felt normal that, yeah, they're huge stars. I want to know this information. Right. But it is crazy reading it back of like how young they were and how focused people were on Britney's body and her body parts in particular. And it's like today, in today's culture and world, like that would not fly. Like that would be so taboo. And cancel culture would not allow for these things to exist. The interviews that Britney had to sit through where people talked about her breasts to her and she had to answer questions about them as a 16 year old girl 
I mean, those newscasters, those interviews would cancel people today. It's insane what she had to go through in that. You know, they, she talks about how, you know, uh, she did the uh, Oops, I Did It Again performance on the VMAs that was so controversial because she wore the nude illusion, sparkly thing that she had like ripped off and, and shown that and did one of what I think is still one of the most iconic performances of all time. But um, she then MTV did this whole segment where she had to sit and watch people on the street talk about how like offended they are by her. And it was just like wild. It was like, oh my God, like why did why did we allow this to happen to this person? I mean, she is so young and impressionable still. And yes, she's this huge icon and this huge star, but that doesn't mean that she's still not like, doesn't have feelings. And it was insane. And she, you know, she shares a lot of this of like, and she really talks a lot, I mean, throughout the book about, um, you know, the difference between her and then some of her male counterparts. And, you know, she was like, in one case, you know, later in, in our lives, Justin's talking about having sex with me and like, quote, potentially like taking my virginity in a way that this is like being celebrated. But me talking about that I, you know, didn't wait till marriage was like, uh, essentially slut shaming. And um, it it is interesting from her perspective, because you hear a lot about that. And, um, and I think, you know, really hearing it from Brittany herself and, and going through that, and what that really sort of did to her emotionally, uh, you know, it was it was interesting to, to listen to. And so, um, but yes, we we do get to the now iconic because the way that Michelle Williams delivers it, a moment where, you know, Brittany sort of uh, sort of maybe throws a little shade at Justin for um, maybe mimicking black culture a little bit too much. And, you know, where he's wearing, you know, some big, um, I mean, I don't remember if she talks about his cornrows, but obviously we all know when, when he had those and she's talking about how NSYNC really like kind of aligned themselves with hip hop and wanted to be more um, seen as, you know, that kind of artist, even though they were still a boy band. And so she, she does this kind of like now iconic moment where she talks about, you know, Justin Timberlake running into Genuine and he sort of turned on this like black scent. Um, and uh, it's, it's an, it's a hilarious moment in the book because it is, it's shady in, in all the right ways. Um, but, you know, it's, we get a lot from um, the Justin relationship. Obviously it's been all over the news now. She reveals that during um, their relationship, she uh, got pregnant and uh, Justin was not ready to have, be a father. And so uh, she had an abortion. Also the way in which she describes the abortion is really uh, just, I mean, she didn't tell anyone. She, they didn't, her and Justin and I think, I think she said Felicia, her assistant, but it may have been um, a security guard. I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was like only a handful of people knew. And um, because of that, they didn't go to the hospital for it. They did it at home. And, you know, she talks about lying there on the bathroom floor and Justin like got out his guitar and started playing music. And she was just in so much pain um, as she's like essentially having this abortion on the floor. And it's, it's horrifying to read. And, um, and then we also learn, you know, in their relationship that she admits that she had an affair, uh, with, 
Wade Robson, which was long speculated. The choreographer who was friends with Justin as well. He did a lot of the NSYNC choreography, did a lot of Britney's uh, choreography. Um, but, you know, Britney says, I knew in our relationship, I loved Justin so much, but I knew that he was cheating on me. And I knew there was like one in particular that she does not name because she says she want, wants to protect her privacy. But she says, you know, there is someone in the public eye that she knows that he was having an affair with. And then, uh, and she said, and I think that that happened often. So she kind of alludes that there's like several people that she thinks he was probably, you know, having an affair multiple times. Um, and so she kind of like got to the point where she thought like, if that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. And that's why, you know, she had a night with Wade Robson, which, uh, he found out about that while she was hosting SNL. He called Wade while she was doing SNL and found out for sure. Uh, Wade confirmed that they had been uh, together. And so, um, you know, things were just like happening behind the scenes. There was a lot going on with that. And, um, and then Justin broke up with her while she was on the set of her overprotected music video, the, the Dark Child remix version of the video. Um, which is also an iconic video. And, you know, she talks about how he sent her a text message that just, you know, simply said it's over. Um, and that's how he ended the relationship. And she was devastated. And, you know, she she does really, really talk about how Justin is the first, definitely the first love of her life, if not the love of her life. Like she alludes to this deep, deep love that she has or had for him. I mean, she mentions that he wrote her a letter uh, towards the end of their relationship, and she still has it framed under her bed. Um, and, you know, that, I think, speaks volumes. I think that the fact that she has this this memento from a relationship that, that actually caused her a lot of pain. You know, he cheated on her. Um, she would have kept the baby in that time, but realized he didn't want to have a child. And so, you know, she went along with the abortion. The abortion really did some like negative things to her, um, mental capacity at that time. She was very distraught. And then he essentially broke up with her. And then from there went on and she talks about, you know, he really used the, the breakup and, uh, you know, their, their sexual life and in her d indiscretion with Wade as a way to really catapult his solo career. And she, she calls that out. You know, she's like in all of these interviews, he's talking about how he's having sex with me and alluding to it. And, you know, we've never even put that out in the world. Meanwhile, I know that the result of that, you know, love making was a child that we didn't keep. And, she talks about, you know, the Crimea River video and that there's a an actor an actress that was hired that looks just like her, that's cheating on her. And, you know, he's she was like, he really put me on blast in this way that then the media came after me and made me out. I went from being, you know, the America's next um, girl next door to this like salacious whore. And it really did a number on her. And um she talks about that. Um, she talks about, you know, sort of days where she just sort of holed up and at home and she didn't want to work. And she just kept being pushed by her team to go work more, go work more. She was like, I don't want to do these tours. I don't want to do these things. And, you know, they just kept pushing her because that's what they do. And that's what, and the pop, that's, they just churn and burn. 
And, um, and so we got a lot of that. We really start to see a lot of the, the darkness there. Um, she talks about her, uh, meeting Madonna and how Madonna had kind of come over to her house and she had kind of decided that she wanted, um, to, to have Madonna on her next record. Um, which, you know, she talks about how the, the label didn't really like the single, but she really, you know, wanted it to be the single, uh, Me Against the Music. And so she brought it back to the label and said, what if we have Madonna? Um, and she, you know, and again, she talks really respectfully about these these artists. There are things that she said, like, you know, she mentioned Madonna, like, was on her own schedule while they were filming the video. She's like, oh yeah, she was hours late. She wasn't ready at the call time. She's like, I as an artist was never like that. I was like, if someone told me to be somewhere, like I was there. And she's like, it was the first time I was really seeing like a, a star that was like, no, I'm the star. Like you, you're on my schedule, not the other way around. Um, and so she, you know, talks about Madonna. She also talks about Mariah Carey several times in the book and, you know, clearly has an affinity for her. Um, and, you know, there's a lot that she, you know, mentions about like Mariah taught her good lighting and how to take photos. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot that kind of goes on. Um, what else? I mean, it's all of this stuff, like I said, it's like, it's so interesting, but there was, it goes by so fast. It's like, wow, she really be, did have these like whirlwind, what, like five, six years of just like nonstop working. And then as you're also kind of re learning, she's going through a lot of heartache and a lot of heartbreak behind the scenes. She really didn't want to be, um, you know, working as hard as she was, um, as the breakup was happening. And, you know, she mentions, you know, Diane Sawyer interview, and she mentions these interviews where like people were really hard on her. And, you know, she, she calls out the Justin and Christina Aguilera Rolling Stone cover that they did together, which she felt like they did it, um, to sort of get back at her. Um, and she, I mean, she had a very, uh, strong reaction to seeing that. And, um, it, it's, it's just, you can, you can hear and understand a lot of really what was, what was kind of going, going on, uh, behind the scenes. Um, you know, and then she obviously, uh, talks about her time with, uh, Kevin Federline. Um, she talks about meeting Kevin and really she, she did not want to be on that in the zone tour. She was like, it was a horrible time for me. I felt like I could not like get my life together. Um, and actually before the Kevin Fenderline, she does also uh, talk about her tryst as she calls it a brawl with Colin Farrell, which was sexy and, um, sounds exactly like she describes it as like, it was just like, she knew that this was kind of a bad guy, but she needed it. She needed to get out and just sort of have some, you know, sexy fun. And she did with him. And, um, and we all know the photos and, and, uh, and remember it well, but you know, the one, the one thing in the book too, that she talks about is her drug of choice. And she mentions, mentions it several times, um, in the book that the only drug of choice was Adderall. So, you know, there has been a lot of stories over the last many years of Britney's drug use. And, uh, you know, people definitely said that she was like drinking too much and doing all kinds of drugs. Um, she claims in this book that it's only Adderall. So that is the one thing that like, you know, 
and I don't know, here's my opinion on it is like, not everybody has to share every single thing that they've done in their lives with the public. But if you're writing a, like a tell all memoir, you should probably, you know, go there. But again, I don't know. It's like, let Britney be Britney. I'm torn on this because she talks about, I think she's like, says that she tried marijuana once and she didn't like the way that it, um, that it like impacted her. It made her feel like sort of slow. I think she said, um, and then she talks about, uh, you know, drinking. She started drinking when she was like 14 with her mother. They would, they would drive and get daiquiris. And, um, but she also talks about like how she, you know, doesn't really like to drink a lot now. She doesn't like the way it makes her feel and she doesn't like the taste of it. Um, she talks about watching other people in the industry, like do a lot of really hard drugs, but you know, she, she does sort of maintain that like if she was doing anything, it was Adderall. Um, and obviously she talks about like some painkillers and things that she was on when she was injured for her knee. Um, she's had several knee injuries that she talks about within the book that, you know, she was, she was put on stuff for it. Um, and I don't know, I, that was the only thing in the book that I just like, I was like, was it really only Adderall because there was so much going on and, I, I don't know, but she does, I mean, and she's not just saying like she used Adderall to like help her feel, you know, treat her symptoms of ADHD or whatever. Like she did it to get high. Like she, you know, admits that like she was overusing Adderall, using it for the wrong reasons, but that's what she used. Um, and so she mentions that. And I, I bring that up now because obviously, you know, the Colin Farrell days, that was like, that was when a lot of those drug rumors started. Um, and then her partying with like Paris Hilton and, and going out a lot. Um, and then obviously in the Kevin Federline times. And so she talks about Kevin, obviously like there, there's really nothing new in the Kevin stuff because I feel like we know so much through that sort of divorce and how messy it got. But, you know, she talks about how he was just constantly, you know, doing marijuana. Uh, she talks about how she just like really needed to feel loved and she didn't want to be on this in the zone tour. And she met, Kevin and he just sort of would wanted to hold her in the pool all night long and just hold her. And that's what she needed so much because she really hadn't like recovered from the Justin breakup and the abortion and all of the things that were sort of just still causing her a lot of mental anguish. And she really needed, needed to feel that love. And so, um, she talks about that with Kevin. Um, and that's kind of what he brought to her. And then obviously they ended up having children and getting married. Um, and then she talks a lot about how she went into a lot of uh, postpartum depressions. She was really scared at times of the way in which that sort of manifested itself. But then we also start to learn that during that same time, that's really when the media was going way too hard on her and everything they, you know, she, she clearly has issues with her weight. Um, she talks about it not only in the conservator timeframes, but even like early in her life, her father uh, telling her that she needs to lose weight and that she's fat. Um, so pregnancy really did a number on her with that. And so she talks about like photographers who get photos of her that look where she looks fat. Um, and that was really damaging. Uh, she, she just details the like other side of the paparazzi sort of chase, right? And she talks about how scary it is 
and that she can't see and she's holding a baby and she's as a mother she's like i feel unsafe i feel like these paparazzis are like chasing me down the road and something really bad is going to happen and so you know she talks about um the time that she put uh her son on her lap while she was driving and everyone you know snapped a million photos and she says you know it's like the paparazzi drive you to kind of do something crazy because they just want that one shot because they know they're going to go make you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on that one money shot. And so they're looking for you to do something crazy. And Brittany knew that. And so she tried not to do those things, but also was always put in a situation that where she felt unsafe and ended up sort of like, you know, running into a restaurant barefoot or, you know, having to um, put the baby on the lap or all of these different things that became these moments where people were, the headlines were reading like Brittany out of control and, you know, unfit and all of that stuff. And so she really talks about all of that. Um, and then uh, just sort of how I think that probably the new thing in the Kevin story is really how he iced her out at the end. Um, she would talk about how he would just like never be home. And then she would like show up at the studio or show up wherever he was. Um, because she does say, you know, he tried to have a rap career. And I think she you know, says something like, oh, bless his heart. Um, little shady moments here and there. Um, love it. But she talks about like showing up and like the guy that used to be her uh, security guard that now was like working for Kevin wouldn't let her see her own husband. And like he didn't want to see uh, Brittany. And he really kind of like was manipulating her at the end. And it it just sounds really bad. It, like things got really, um, really sad for her. And so um, she talks about that. I'm trying to think what else. I probably missed some things. Oh, she she did talk about almost getting cast in the notebook. Um, and also later talked about that she was up for a darker role, which we learned was Chicago. Um, and she just felt like, you know, if she hadn't done those things, she would have, you know, not been able uh, to release like In the Zone. And she would have ended up like, she said when she was doing acting, um, in her film Crossroads, she said like she really takes on the character um, in a really method way and had a hard time breaking out of it at the end of filming. And so she felt like, especially with Chicago, like it was a little too dark for her to take on. There was a lot of darkness going on in her life and she just didn't think it was like the right thing for her. Um, but, you know, it would have been interesting for sure uh, to see uh, Brittany uh, on in Chicago, right? I mean, wow, that would have been a very different movie and could have changed the course of her career in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, so uh, she talks about the, the breakup with Kevin. Um, and then she kind of goes into, you know, again, she's, I feel like what we learn is like, she never really recovered from that abortion. Um, she was kind of like in a constant sh uh, state of uh, depression. And these things just kind of kept happening where she was doing things that would make give her sort of this high, um, like going out or, you know, which, you know, as I mentioned, we saw going and having her brawl, meeting Kevin and finding love, having the children. Like she would do these things that were like, you know, to make herself better. Um, but she was really, really still dealing with a lot of the stuff that was undealt with. And, um, and so, you know, we, we kind of learn all of that. And then as she's ending her relationship with Kevin, you know, we get into the, the blackout era 
And she talks about how that's where she really turned to music again to sort of save her in these moments. And um, it's it's so interesting because she talks about like, again, it was reminiscent of the Max Martin days where she said, you know, I just wanted to be in the studio all the time. Like I just wanted studio time all the time to go in and create these songs. And I was like so inspired by it. And she calls it her best album that she's ever put out. Like she's so proud of this blackout era. Um, and or album, I should say. And meanwhile, still her life is falling apart around her, right? And she gets forced to do the VMA performance, which, you know, people immediately were criticizing. Um, she, you know, said that she met uh, or she saw Justin Timberlake for the first time in a very long time backstage right before the performance, and it really put her in a bad place. She told people, I don't want to go out and perform. I'm not ready. Um, but they forced her and made her, you know, said that it needed to be her comeback. Um, and then, you know, things just kind of spiraled from there. She said that she really started to like feel like her dad was planning something. Um, she, he had, he seemed to be kind of doing some shady things. He was bringing in business managers, Lou Taylor, um, who he had like owed money to. Um, and, you know, she just started to feel like her parents and, and the people around her were using her, but also setting her up for failure. Um, so when she was in really dark places, like nobody was there to comfort her. She just said that she had a sense that, you know, and she refers to this many times as from the book, from this moment to the end of the book, that she feels like her family was really trying to kill her um, in a lot of ways. And she just felt like something was coming. Um, and then she recounts the, the moments where, um, you know, her mother called her over to the house and suddenly there were helicopters and uh, there was, uh, I, was it FBI? I don't know if it was FBI. There was, um, you know, police essentially at um, at the door, trying to break down the door to like, you know, bring Brittany in. And they, you know, strapped her to a gurney against her will. She didn't understand what was happening. And, uh, you know, they put her on this, uh, they put her on the, the psychiatric hold, which then led to the conservatorship. And all the while, you know, Brittany says like, you know, she really doesn't, didn't understand why, because all she was really facing was, you know, postpartum. She was facing the divorce from Kevin that was getting really painful and getting really ugly. Um, she obviously still had a lot of the pain from the Justin relationship and some of the trauma that she had gone through and no one was there to comfort her or help her with those things. She just kind of got left and cast aside. Um, and, you know, then she, she goes on to, uh, talk about, you know, she ends up in a matter, like what felt like a matter of weeks in this conservatorship that then lasted 13 years of her life. And in this conservatorship, she talks about, you know, what I, she, that what she understood was that she was being put on this because she was being told that she was unfit and unwell enough to live her own life and make decisions. But she said, but meanwhile, I was shooting How I Met Your Mother and talking about in rehearsals for touring and going back to work in the studios and doing all these things. And she's like, if I'm so unwell, why am I able to do all of these things? And those are questions that she should have asked more and should have found her way to, to ask those things more publicly, but she didn't have a voice, right? Like she wasn't, she, because she wasn't in control, she couldn't go on talk shows. She couldn't talk to her. She was told she couldn't appoint her own lawyer, which late, she later found out was a lie. Um, and actually illegal, by the way, uh, nobody has faced any charges for that, but 
you know, she just, she goes on to talk about all the work that she went and did. She won, um, you know, in, uh, let me see, I have it here. Um, she says in 2008, I won more than 20, 20 awards, including cosmopolitan ultimate woman of the year award at the VMAs just one year after I'd been mocked for my, give me more performance. I won three moon men, my video piece of me won every category it was nominated in, including video of the year. I thanked God, my sons and my fans for standing by me. So she talks about how she's going on and winning all these awards. She's having like so much success. And meanwhile, can't make a decision for herself. Her father was making her eat chicken and canned vegetables for every meal. She wasn't eat, she would beg her security to give her ice cream or hamburgers or french fries and they would say no that they weren't allowed to. Um you know, all of this like hor these horrible conditions. I mean, she was truly abused for 13 years and then she talks about it, you know, that at some points throughout the 13 years, she realized, okay, if I just go through with this and if I just start acting and playing the game, they'll let me out of it. Surely if I like keep doing what they ask of me and I'm doing a good job of it, they'll let me out. Um, and as we know that never, that day, those days never came. Um, and it wasn't until, and this is crazy because again, it's been, it had been going on for so long, but it wasn't until after her Vegas residency ended and she was like, I need a break. I need to like be with my children. I want to take my vacation with them. They were like, no, we're putting you on the road to do a tour. Because all it, all she was for these people involved was a moneymaker. And they were taking all the money. And she was like, I don't want to go on a tour. I'm tired. I've been doing this Vegas residency for years. I, I You guys aren't letting me change the show. I can't even put a different song in. Like I have no creative freedom in this in my career anymore. And so she was really upset. And again, she sort of said, okay, fine, I'll do the tour and then I'll come back and then I need my time off so I can take the boys to on our vacation. And, you know, she's being told that that's what she's gonna do. And uh, she comes home and they tell her like, oh, you only have, you know, X amount of time off. And she's like, no, no, you told me I would get the summer off. And they were like, no, you're gonna start rehearsals for your next Vegas residency at this new thing that we just signed. And so if you remember, there was this big hype and like the internet kept breaking because everyone was tuning in to see Britney and she was going to come and announce her new Vegas residency and perform. And there was going to be a lot of, uh, there was going to be a lot of fanfare. Mario Lopez was hosting it and it was like hours and hours I felt like were going by. I remember watching it as a fan. I had it on and who knows what I was doing. Probably, I don't know if I was in school or, or working or whatever, but probably called in six so that I could watch um, the live cast. And she just kept, um, it kept getting delayed. It was like, so they were, it was literally just hours of watching fans screaming. And you were like, what is happening? When are we going to get this thing? And then finally, she explains it. She says, I, I came out and did what I was supposed to do. I stood there, I walked down the stairs, and then I was supposed to walk over to Mario Lopez for the interview. And what she did is she just kept walking. And then she got in a car and the car drove away. And we all remember it because we were all like, wait, was that just like people were waiting hours and hours just to see a glimpse of her? But it was the first time she really, really rebelled against what she was being told to do. And that kickstarted a lot of, of things, right? Like she did have to go into the rehearsals. She was realizing that like, again, I've got to play the game because, you know, they would, they would take her children away. They would say, you're not going to get to see your children at all if you don't do these things. So she would have to do these things in order to to actually like see her children, which was really all she wanted to do. 
And um, she describes, you know, in one of the rehearsals, the the choreographer wanted to do her a move. And she said, I don't think I could do that move. It's too hard. I'm, you know, I'm older. And I think that will hurt me. I don't want to do that move. Can we do something different? And she said immediately she felt that something had had gone wrong because all of these people went in another room and they started talking. And then the next thing she knew, she was being put into an institution against her will and put on lithium. And she talks about being in this hospital and not being able to get out and not understanding why she was there. And, you know, she was essentially so confused because she oftentimes lost herself on the medication. Um, and it was actually a nurse that showed her the, some free Britney stuff on TV. And she, it was the first time that she said that she realized that people are, people now are starting to see that something's not right. And it gave her hope again. And so she, she got out of the hospital and she was like, I'm going to play this game. But it was the first time that she, you know, played the game more calculated. She was looking for her opportunity to get out. And then of course, you know, I'm skipping a lot because I've already been talking for what, 50 minutes. And if you're still with me, God bless you, because I could talk about Brittany all day, but guys, she talks about, um, she, she talks about getting out of the hospital and then, you know, we know Jamie, uh, you know, broke down, uh, one of the kids doors when they were getting in a fight. Kevin Federline filed a restraining order against her dad, which meant that she wasn't going to get to see her children anymore. And so there was a lot of things that, um, she just said enough is enough and I've got to figure out my way. And she ultimately was able to get a lawyer or get a judge to hear her personally in court. And she said that she wanted it to be an open court to the public so that we could all listen. And boy, did we ever. And that was the first time in 13 years that we heard Britney Spears say, I'm not okay. And what has been happening to me is not okay. And I've been put on this and she described the abuse and all of the things that she had been going through for the first time. And I remember it was so painful to listen to her voice saying these things. And again, reading them in this book as well um, and, and really seeing even more of it. And that was the first time that we heard what was, what was transpiring from her. Even though there was a lot of speculation at that point, we now had confirmation that Brittany, in fact, was not free. And so, um, you know, that was, that kickstarted the Free Britney movement. Um, Matthew Rosengart stepped in. Her father was taken out of her conservatorship. And we eventually got her out of the conservatorship. And I say we because she really, you know, oftentimes says it's because of the fans. Because the fans were able to do that and really put this out there, um, she it gave her hope because she really felt hopeless. She didn't think anyone knew. And she thought she was just, again, her family was just going to wait until she was gone. Um, and so it was, it, it was a lot. And, you know, she does, she does talk about her, her marriage to Sam. Um, the divorce happened after the book went to press. And so we, we only see Sam in a positive light in this book. Um, but, you know, she talks about the healing and, that she's not ready to, to take on music again right now and that she really just wants to focus on being herself. And, you know, one of the the final kind of paragraphs of the book, I, I wanted to end our podcast with it uh, because I think that it's, 
it's something that we should remember because, you know, a lot of us are still casting a lot of judgment on Brittany when we see her post online and, and the things that she's doing. Um, and if you read this book again, which I urge everyone to do, you really do get a better sense as to like what this person is dealing with and what she has been dealing with for so long and why she's, you know, sort of reverted back to childlike tendencies in some ways and, and the accents and the things that people just really want to, um, sort of criticize about her. Um, but one of the things that she says here is, freedom means being goofy, silly, and having fun on social media. Freedom means taking a break from Instagram without people calling 911. Freedom means being able to make mistakes and learning from them. Freedom means I don't have to perform for anyone, on stage or off stage. Freedom means that I get to be as beautifully imperfect as everyone else. And freedom means the ability and the right to search for joy in my own way, on my own terms. And that's how I want to leave it, guys, because Brittany has told her story. And though there might be elements missing, there might be things that she's not ready to share, she goes there in a lot of ways. And she shares as much of her heart with us as she can in this book. And all we wanted was to hashtag free Brittany. And we have. And now we've got to let her be free. So I, again, I hope that you guys have all read it or listened to it. Um, it's certainly something that I think is going to be talked about for many more years to come. There's already people uh, in talks that are trying to get rights um, in to make it a film or a TV show um, because it's a dynamic story. And it's not just because it's Britney Spears and people want to capitalize off of her. It's because what she tells in this book is a dynamic story. And I hope that we all feel a little bit more empathy when we read it. And so thanks for listening. Guys, it's 55 minutes of Britney Spears back to back. I know I just did a Britney episode, deep dive episode. She's my queen. I love her so much. And I, you know... I thank you for reliving this book with me today. And um, I hope that you will follow me on the socials so that we can talk about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What were the, the moments that stood out to you? And what are you taking from the book? Let me know. I'm at CM Vetrano on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. Um, and until next time, uh, it's been Chris Vetrano. Thanks for listening and uh, talk to you soon. Bye.